Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. Today, we're going to talk about automation. And if you think about your everyday life, how moving from manual processes to technological innovation in automation, it affects you in so many different ways. I was looking at some research that was done pre-pandemic by Capgemini. This was in the retail space. And they were surveying the retailers to see what that presence was for automation uh, within their business models. And it was really interesting to look at the share of retailer stores that were using some sort of automation technology worldwide across a wide range of different dimensions from everything from product information and inventory availability to customer service, self-checkout, facilities management, and then this whole area of order fulfillment. And even in that order fulfillment area, This was, again, pre-pandemic, just about two years ago, 23% reporting current with 40% projected in the next three years. And that was similar uh, with uh, growth across three years projected in each of those different dimensions. But that was pre-pandemic. And it'd be interesting with our guest today, Mike Wills, to talk a little bit about the impact of automation within the retail and the food service spaces uh, and maybe how that trajectory is changing as a result of what we've all experienced over the last year plus. And as I mentioned, Mike is uh, really an expert in the area of automation and technology. And I've worked with Mike in the past. Mike is currently CEO of Apex Order Pickup Solutions, the world's leading provider of self-serve automation solutions for a wide range of applications in the food service, retail, and business-to-business markets. Before Apex, Mike spent more than three decades in the enterprise mobility industry, where he held leadership and officer positions with organizations including Motorola, Zebra, Intermec, Avery Dennison, and Honeywell. Mike is also a very active board participant. He serves on industry standards boards and associations, along with higher education boards. He's also an independent board of directors member for Edge IQ Incorporated, an edge analytics IoT company based in Denver, Colorado. So Mike knows technology. He knows all about uh, leadership. And we're going to talk a little bit about his perspective on that and and what fuels success in growing organizations from a leadership perspective. And I can't wait to re-engage with Mike, uh, who uh, worked, as I mentioned, with me several years back. So Mike, all the way from the great state of Ohio, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate the uh, very warm welcome and the intro. I'm still a little stunned uh, with your statement. and It's true. Three decades. Time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. And it's great to hear from you again and get reconnected with you again. I look forward to our discussion. Yeah, so much has changed over the course of those three decades. And we're going to go back in time. So where we're going to start out is thinking back on that very accomplished career. And it's all been very focused around growing the adoption for these technology solutions. And 
Mike, where did that passion uh, come from? What's what's fueled that interest around uh, technology? So, Dan, it's a great question. Um, I think at its heart, at the core root of uh, how we use technology, either in our personal or professional lives, the, the basic benefit, there are, you know, dozens, if not myriads of uh, uh, numbers of ways that we utilize technology and extract benefit out of it. But the core, to me, the core root of it comes back to the fact that the use of technology, it, it unlocks uh, actionable insight, actionable data uh, for us, frankly, both, as I said, on a personal and professional uh, level. And most of my life has been in the B2B world. So I don't want your listeners to assume that a lot of this is on the B2C side, on the consumer device side, most of it on the enterprise side. But I think the same analogy applies to, to our personal lives as well. It just unlocks actual data where we can make more effective decisions. And, uh, you know, you're right. A lot has changed over three decades. Uh, but it's really been in the improvement the capability improvement of delivering that actionable data in relative speed and quantity to uh, the point where a decision needs to be made, where that decision uh, is in front of the individual who needs to make that decision, uh, increasing the rate of speed to the point where it's real time and the quantity of data so that all of the pieces are there and it almost literally becomes a foolproof decision based on everything that you have in front of you. So in pursuit of that and all these evolutionary cycles, Dan, of watching uh, technology package and then repackage itself with those attributes of speed and quantity around it, it's just been a really exciting uh, career. And you're right, three decades. And quite honestly, I hope to be in it for a good long time in front of us. So. You've got another good three decades. Ahead of you, Mike. I, I know for sure. And uh, it is so true what you're talking about. The whole perspective on time has changed, right? And our expectations are on access to information, right? The days of the, the making the decision of morning newspaper, afternoon newspaper, we want everything instantly. And the expectations for businesses to refine and speed up their processes, right? It's just been crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Earlier in your career, you spent a lot of time in sales and revenue-focused executive roles. I'm curious what the transition has been like to the role of CEO. Have you come across some big challenges there? Um, some, some. I, and you're right. A lot of the concentration in my uh, career vocation roles in the past have been sales, sales-centric, uh, demand generation-centric. Whether that included, you know, everything from product development to marketing, um, but very externally and top line driven for sure. Um, the good news to me as I step into uh, this role as a CEO, uh, better part of a year ago, I was blessed, I guess, and I'm going to, because I look at it that way, Dan, I, I was blessed with always having a big picture perspective. Um while responsible for revenue, uh, you know, it, there's a section of the business that you're uh, insanely it, intently focused on. Not that you 
uh, don't care or you're you're not preoccupied with the other elements of the business to deliver uh, a solid competitive shareholder return. But all of your attention and priorities are driven around revenue expansion, market expansion, customer retention. And uh, stepping into the CEO role, you know, I'm, I've had to lean back into, I guess, that that natural uh, concept of mine of being big picture oriented. And that's helped because now, obviously, my primary goal, which revenue plays a huge role in it, but my primary role is to deliver a competitive return to the shareholders, to the investors in the business, the people that keep putting fuel in our tank so that we can continue to grow and lead in our market spaces where we choose to compete. So while it is different, um, you know, it, revenue still plays a big, big role in what I do every day, but paying attention and calling priority to every contribution from every corner of the organization, internally and externally, is part of this new role that I enjoy. Um, and and honestly, I'm feeling pretty invigorated by. Yeah, the analogy, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about is the idea of the, the periscope that has a certain range to it. And you had a wide periscope when you're in those revenue focused demand generation roles. But now that periscope seems to be even as a CEO, you've got this wide, extremely wide periscope. It's really yeah. wide. And so it gives you kind of a whole new view of the horizon, right? Just got a whole new perspective. It does. It's almost a 360 degree uh, responsibility now. <laughs> you know, we're, we're intently focused going forward where we intend to be. Uh, but you need to look behind you too. You need to look around you at all times. You're constantly taking environmental scans. So that's a, that's a workable analogy. I like it. Yeah. Well, developing a strong and enduring culture is definitely one of the hardest things for any CEO or company to achieve. Mike, what have been some of the keys for you and your leaders in building a very healthy culture at Apex Order Pickup Solutions? So, Dan, we could literally consume hours on this topic, honestly. Um, it's uh, of, so I'll go back and, and bounce off of your just previous asked question to get into this one. Uh, one of probably my biggest challenges and or surprises, I'll say, was how ultimately how important this perspective was in my day-to-day -day job. Um, you know, I, running the business to me seemed like uh, it, it was always going to be the top priority. And to me, the interpretation of running the business is deliver the results for the shareholders. Um, and, and all the constituents, stakeholders, which include customers and employee, team members, et cetera. The truth is um, establishing and uh, validating, living, walking the talk, the corporate culture, the company culture that you want to demonstrate every day is such an incredibly important aspect of that. So to the point of your question, um, the strategy, your, your grand vision of what you want to accomplish and the strategy in which you will get there, the roles in which everybody will play is so hugely important. And so communication 
I say that to say communication is one of our core pillars uh, of our corporate uh, culture that we embody here. And not just, we have to be good communicators. It is, we have to be effective communicators, both in frequency, content, and transparency, Dan. When we say this is what we're going to do, our actions have to back that up. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to constantly fall back and and grade ourselves as to how are we doing against our stated goals. Um, and in part of the, the, the transparency element of this, Dan, was probably the hardest part because, you know, you don't always accomplish every goal that you state you're going to set out to accomplish in the time frame you're going to do it in. And it's tough to when you declare, hey, folks, transparency is going to be one of our core value items, one of our culture uh, items that you'll be able to see and feel and experience every day. Well, when you don't hit a goal, transparency says you've got to own it. And and so accountability and that framework of when you have goals that flow down through the organization, every team member knows exactly what they're responsible for to make that happen. And the interlacing of all of that through the organization creates accountability and a very tight team-oriented structure. But it all starts with communication. You have to clearly communicate what it is that you intend to accomplish. And I'm talking about get it out of the business speak too. You know, don't don't yeah. interlace your comments with a bunch of buzzword bingo. Make it relatable. Make people mm-hmm. see the visual yeah. image of what you want to accomplish, and you will in a much faster way solicit their support and engagement. Yeah, that is so true. And you talk a lot about the importance of that transparent communication. Now, I'd like to shift to another word that begins with C, and that's collaboration. So when you think about your senior leadership team and the C-suite, how important is collaboration? So there's communication, and then that leads to hopefully collaboration. And I'm curious, has any learning from all the disruptions that have been created by the global pandemic over the past year changed at all the way you look at all that? Um, yeah, that's a really great question. I, <clears throat> like probably most, if not all, of the listeners to this recording, everybody's leaned into the current platform of available technology to uh, not just survive, hopefully thrive through the last 18 months or so with the pandemic, remain connected. Um, And the one thing among many, many takeaways from this experience is that, um, you know, tomorrow's not, tomorrow's not promised. It's not granted to any of us. Uh, Things could change and you have to be flexible. And Suddenly, whether it's corporate policies, uh, communication standards, meeting standards, um, inclusive of, to your point, how we collaborate to get things done. You know, most most uh, high performers who uh, are really motivated by the accomplishment of difficult tasks will, by instinct, step back and say, well, you know, this is inconvenient. <laughs> 
and that I that I can't be face to face with my team on a regular basis. I'm just going to get this done. I'm going to get this task done and effectively make decisions for a lot of other contributors otherwise. And the problem is, is that back to our, our corporate values and culture, the whole team framework begins to break down instantly once that happens. So back to the connectedness item, one of the takeaways that we learned early on as we entered this pandemic and we transitioned like many of us uh, who are listening from, uh, wow, this won't last more than a month or two to, wow, this is going to be a long haul. We transitioned to this constant message and reinforcement of remaining connected or connectedness of the entire team. Um, it means you need to step up your communication frequency game, uh, you know, change the variety in which you're connecting with people from uh, creative ideation sessions to report outs on status and progress. Um, the natural human instinct that I saw, Dan, was that, that the productivity didn't dip. It didn't dip as everybody went into their virtual environments. What did dip for a moment? A, a short moment was the connect the connectedness aspect of it, people's communications, and the collaboration tanked as well. So we we saw that rapidly, like within the first thirty to forty five days, and intentionally inserted ourselves uh, into the ongoing communication patterns between the teams to make sure that collaboration happened. Like I said, I, I wasn't concerned, and the results show. That our productivity didn't wane, but I was fearful if we just let it go unfettered. That uh, isolationism and uh, individual work streams would create a complete fracture in our team culture that you'd never be able to repair again. So, forcing teams together on a very regular basis to resolve issues uh, and collaborate together for positive outcomes was a major, major emphasis of ours. Yeah, it seems like there's been this revelation in the last year in terms of a new dynamic on how multiple teams, even when remote, how they can work together and they can use the tools available. And it seems like that is that model really ever going to get back to exactly the way it was before? I don't think so. I think there's long-term shift in thinking around how teams work in a more virtual model, don't you think? I do. I, I absolutely agree with you. I, um, in fact, I delivered a uh, an internal update this morning. We call it our Apex Connect series, where uh, we have team members physically and virtually online. Uh, and I went through a business update, and I, you know, I, I did the air quotes uh, about how things are returning to normal and normal. Uh, will never be the same normal that it was 18 months ago. Despite you know where we think the glide path is at, it will forever be altered and changed because of that. Um, so I just think we have to remain uh, flexible in uh, how we lean into the coming months and years, but utilize uh, people's you know their their talent, um, their penchant for innovation. Uh, and meet them where they're at. You know, the one thing that I'm sure you've heard many, many times is it took several months for a lot of people to just kind of warm up to this work from home virtual environment with the dogs barking and the doorbells ringing and 
constant interruptions and on and on. But quite honestly, within our team, Dan, it humanized everybody. Mm -hmm. I actually saw deeper connections being made with our team, uh, with the visual aspects, seeing people in their home environment. And it it made us a a deeper, more well-connected team on the back end of it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that pandemic disruption has certainly impacted businesses of all sizes across all industries. Can you tell me how it has impacted specifically the food service and retail markets? I can. Um, again, another topic I could I could speak to for for hours. Uh, food service operators, first of all, went through a period of time where, as many did, where uh, due to social distancing, the mask mandates, um, and frankly, just public fear uh, of having very little traffic. So many of these food service brand operators, uh, whether they're mom and pop or franchise owners or corporate store run, uh, managers, they went from how do I survive to many of them pivoting to how do I now thrive in this environment? And there was a couple of I'll call them mega trends, Dan, that uh, actually were obvious and evident before the pandemic. And that is this, this huge shift towards customer preference for ordering off of uh, apps. Now, whether it's uh, the native app associated with a brand um, or ordering through DSP, so a Grubhub or an Uber Eats or, you know, all of them. Um that preference was skyrocketing before the pandemic. Pandemic has, has just thrown gas on the fire. So this shift to how these brand operators are taking orders in, this move to off-premise eating, fundamentally changes the way a lot of these QSR, quick serve restaurants, fast casual restaurant layouts are. You know, at the end of the day, they're a brick and mortar building. And they've committed a rather sizable portion of their ongoing real estate investment to dining in in the establishment. Well, you know, you name a brand today, you walk in at lunchtime, the line is long at the counter picking up orders, the drive-through line is long, and there might be three people sitting at tables in a vast unused dining area that used to be packed 10, 15 years ago. So the impact is this huge shift of how they take orders in, which now drives a major change of back of house operations for them, how they staff them, how they prepare them, uh, how they handle all these orders in terms of the final handoff. And that's where Apex steps in. We automate that whole process of the order delivery and order pickup, either by the DSP drivers or the end users themselves. And we disconnect the whole dependency of that operator's labor associated with making sure that customer gets the order. That's where we kick in. That's our job. With 100% reliability and accuracy, we make sure that those orders are getting to the right people in a very efficient way so that the team members in back of house can go back to the production side of it, building orders and maximizing revenue out of that facility. So what we've seen with the pandemic fueled by a lot of these customer preference uh, desires that are megatrends, Dan, is that 
we've seen a tectonic shift go on inside, you know, a five trillion dollar global market in terms of the food service industry, and the operators are now dealing with the reopening phenomena, right? Where every everybody, at least for a period of time, we don't know how long. Hopefully, for a very long time. Uh, they're fully open, no mask mandates, et cetera. If people want to get out and spend money, they want to dine out, they want to enjoy themselves. And the new challenge that a lot of these operators are facing are absence of labor. They don't have people, they don't have enough people showing up for them to actually no. build out their order intake. So that's, again, another benefit where automation, investment in automation helps them offset this new problem that they've got. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, even driving around my home market of Seattle, the the parking lots are full in those restaurants, right? In those food operations, I you know, there's that pent up demand to get back. Yeah, I, I I can tell you multiple times I have walked into full serve restaurants for for a meal on premise meal, and I've seen a percentage. Let's call it twenty thirty percent of the tables. Um, not prepared. And the only reason is they don't have enough staff. So they're not even sitting clients at a third of their tables. And if you think, if you think about the limiters associated with the service industry, of which the food service, of course, is a major participant in, if you don't have enough team members showing up, you have a major governor on your top line growth throttle. It's a it's a significant challenge that these people are facing today. No doubt about it. And that access to quality workers and just the disruption there, uh, trying to to keep up with that pent up demand. Yeah, I can see where that would be just a huge headache potentially for businesses just to figure it out, right? And to get back on track and get back that that rhythm and the momentum that they had pre pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, last item, and it's closely associated with that, Dan, is the ones that are showing up. The cost of labor is rising fast. Um, and so, you know, as an operator, you want to deploy that that cost base, the team labor, where it's most effective. And if I can invest in automation to handle that that last mile slash last inch handoff process with a high degree of accuracy and a great customer experience. I'll do it all day long as opposed to pay for team labor who may or may not come in that day. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have them focused on the production side of it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of it's sense. A, it's a real, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. My heart goes out for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there some other major trends that you see that are going to continue to shape innovation and how businesses evolve and how leaders can achieve that long-term and sustainable growth? There are. They really have to do. Um, there are parallels to it, but they all really tie back to this ongoing commitment uh, towards digitization and, uh, you know, the the example is, uh, you know, in, in days not too far gone, you would walk into your, you know, your favorite QSR, uh, walk up and say your order, pick from an order board, but 
audibly tell this person, here's what I want. At that moment, right at that POS terminal is when it first starts its digital journey, right? Um, today, there are many, many operators who uh, are committing to full digitization at a certain point in the future. They put it out there. It's almost like the moonshot mission, and I applaud them for it. They they see the efficiency gains associated with. I'm going to ask the customer to digitize this order up front on whatever device. If it's on an app, if it's on a kiosk, at some point, I want to take the human element out of it, and I'm going to ask the customer to make those selections. Because you think about it, Dan. If that responsibility now lies with me and I'm doing it on a native app with that brand or I'm doing it on a DSP app or I'm going to do it on a kiosk, it's up to me to make it accurate. And so you immediately have an uptick as a brand operator in my accuracy, my order accuracy, and I can redeploy my team member labor to the production side and maximizing the efficiencies uh, in the output of that particular location. So we just see the the embrace of the digital journey, an ongoing theme for the next couple of years in front of us, because it just unlocks so much efficiency for these operators. Yeah. Digitization is the, uh, the word and the concept. And uh, that is uh, going to be so important. And all organizations, Mike, including yours have, navigated through significant change as we talked a little bit about earlier. But when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Oh, gosh. Well, I I guess it is a choice, right? Um, And it is. It's a natural choice for me. I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic. Um, I I think, frankly, uh, the markets in general, people aspire you know, the human nature is I, I, I aspire to better myself, my surroundings, uh, my life, my community in general. Uh, you know, I, I realize that that description doesn't fit everybody. But in general, I still believe in the broad majority of people think that way, wake up every, every day that way, Dan. And because of that, you know, this career our, our collective career, yours, mine, in technology to you know continue the speed and the quantity of accessible action-based data for decision making is an exciting way to do it because that there's a direct corollary to improving people's lives when you're making better decisions. So I, I you know, I guess it is a choice, but I'm just wired that way. I'm very optimistic about the future. Um, you know. This this pandemic was uh, it was highly personal. We all have somebody that we know or somebody's that we know that were affected by it. Um, but we also saw the full demonstration, the uh, accomplishments made by uh, our human side of our organization looking to offset the downside and the disastrous effects of this virus on a global basis coming together and in an unprecedented manner to get a vaccine together and put this behind us and return back to, again, I'm doing the air quotes, normal. But you know what? I'll, I'll take it. So 
loose guys is what I often say, Dan, loose guys. Right. And in that CEO role, you said it, it's all about a choice, a choice of attitude that's positive, but that radiates. I mean, from that role, all eyes tend to be upon you. You set the tone for the organization. So it becomes this exponentially powerful thing where if you're radiating that optimism, then it has to then just literally spread and and take on kind of a whole new meaning in the organization. It does. Absolutely. It is a choice. Absolutely a choice every day. So Mike, as we start wrapping up our conversation, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are seeking sustainable success for their teams and companies? Yeah, I. Um, this may not be applicable to everybody. Some people are just naturally wired this way. Others, it, it takes a ton of work. But what I would say is um, don't miss an opportunity to make a personal connection with your team. Um, and what I mean by that specifically is taking an interest in what's going on in their lives and and actually remembering it and bumping into them a week later or two weeks or three weeks later and inquiring about that. It may be the, the smallest little anecdotal piece of information they shared with you. Um, that, <laughs> that can unlock unbelievable retention with members in your team. And Basically, what what they're hearing is, hey, my leadership heard me. They took a vested interest and and asked me genuinely what was going on. Uh, I shared something with them and trust. Number one, it it didn't go the wrong way. That wasn't a negative outcome. It was a very positive outcome. And they care about me as an individual. I, I that can be an incredibly powerful thing, Dan. So. While we get so tasked to delivering results, and as I started this broadcast, delivering return to our shareholders and stakeholders in general, uh, it's our team that does it. Don't ever forget that. And just taking a, a vested interest in your team can pay unbelievable dividends. Power of personal connection. That is so spot on, Mike. and. Thanks for coming again today and sharing your perspective on leadership and on automation technology. I appreciate it, Dan. It was a pleasure. It was all mine. Uh, It was great being reconnected with you again. And I love this subject, as you can tell. And a reminder, if you like this podcast, please go out and give us the gift of feedback to rate and review. You can do that on all the podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.